The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Luke! Luke! Ben? You must go to the Spotify system. Spotify. There you will listen to the Dark Times Podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite survivor of the Alderanian uh, catastrophe. And I'm Steven, your favorite smarmy scoundrel from the Outer Rim. He really is. Oh. Steven, we got some feedback from last week. Oh, let's take a look. Uh, I got an email from Ezekiel. Oh, Thank hey, you. Ezekiel. Thanks for reaching out again. Yeah. Ezekiel says... I know y'all did an episode about first level and a little into second level, but when making a character at higher levels, is it easier to start with a concept of what you want to do or just go level by level? Uh, why don't you answer it first? Because I, I have my answer ready. To I feel like, yeah, it, it definitely is easier, uh, especially if you go in thinking, like, I want to make Boba Fett, but e- easier a woman. to do which? Easier to start with a concept oh, and, yes. and you go broad and, th- and like kind of uh, funnel into what you want to do. Yeah. Um, whether that be mechanically or story wise, like being like, oh, I want to make a bounty hunter who has uh, like a cool cyber cybernetic arm that has like a gun built into it or something yeah. like that. No, or that's... being like, I want these three talents. How can I form up into these talents with this class? You know, that's precisely what I do. You know, I, I start with guy who does X is is he lives in my head and I think about him and then I go Roughly level by level, depending on the concept, I usually start at the prestige classes, see what's possible there. Um, and then I may make one or even three or four builds that kind of approximate the idea I'm going for. And then I pick which one I think does the best job and roll from there. And it's always I think it's good to start with an idea. So that way, if you know what prestige class you want to work on, you can look at the prerequisites for that class and then work off from there it's like yeah. oh this this class needs these two talents so what classes do i need to take to get these two talents i also like when i'm when making a character a little more organically like over a long period of time for a long form campaign i may even also do the thing where i make several versions of that character like five levels from now just to get an idea of what's out there and then i don't like lock myself in i it's a loose Absolutely. plan and you know my my tastes, the things I want to play, the my desires change so rapidly over the course of a campaign. And that may work for some people. I oh, yeah. I know we have friends who will write a character level one, level 20 fully, yep. and they'll have it fully planned out. Yep. Whereas for me, it's really a level by level basis. Like I'll play at a little bit of level five and be like, okay, this is what works. This is what doesn't work. Yeah. And I'll change my leveling at level six accordingly. Yeah. I'll do a few levels ahead, but it's never like set in stone. I change shit all the time. Yeah. Hope that was helpful, Ezekiel. Yeah. Thank you so much for writing in. Rock on. I want to give a shout out to Sam. Uh, last night. What? Yeah. Me? Yeah. You. That's you. That's me. I'm Sam. You're Sam. Uh, the shout outs for Sam because we were playing Zero Distance last night. Um, they were in a squadron of A-wings uh, flying through a dangerous acidic storm high above the surface of Hypori. And Sam turned to me and said, Stephen, can I make up some sci-fi bullshit? <laughs> I prompted the players to make roles, whether it was fancy flying or use of their mechanic skill or maybe use computers. This was part to, of a skill challenge. Right? Yeah, to to navigate this storm. Absolutely a, a skill challenge with a hazard mixed in. 
Um, and I was so overjoyed that that Sam was so willing to just full on make up sci-fi bullshit that, of course, I allowed it because I love when my players make up sci-fi bullshit. What I said was the A-Wings are equipped with a jamming suite. Yes. So I wanted to use the jamming suite to identify where the higher concentrations of interference from the storm are. Yes. So like, like, okay, so since I'm not getting a signal back from over there, I don't want to go that direction, something like that. And, you know, when people are writing Star Wars, just make shit up. Like, yeah, no, no, like, there's not, like, there's no explicit details on how shit works in Star Wars. There's a know? reason why we don't have rules that detail the specific interactions between the A-Wings jamming suite and a lightning storm, because we're supposed to make that up for ourselves. Anyone who's familiar with Star Wars, oh, I'll try to boost the signal from the receiving end. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's arbitrary, and that's the point. That's you been know? the beauty of sci-fi for the better part of a hundred years. I think that reminds me of, um, I was recently rewatching the Clone Wars uh, last season. No mm-hmm. spoilers. You know, spoilers. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Please I think do. you should. There's a scene where uh, they receive a, a transmission while in hyperspace. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird because oh, that's right. in the system, it's kind of like ambiguous whether that's possible or not. But yeah. in Star Wars lore, it's easier to send a signal in hyperspace from the receiving end of where the ship is trying to go. Yeah. Rather than like from anywhere else. It, it, it's so it's left so arbitrarily and ambiguously that you're, you can just be like with enough effort, you can send a signal to someone in hyperspace. Yeah. And like we always say, if it makes sense, sounds cool. Let your players do it. Yeah. There's really no reason to uh, the rule of cool. As a lot of DMs say the rule of cool. Uh, I like that. You, you started with the, uh, with talking about that skill challenge and those hazards, because that not that the sort of main meat? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I might guide us into this episode's theme with a little anecdote there. Yeah, let's talk about hazards, Stephen. Yeah, uh, I think it was Tistas who had the idea for us to do a hazard episode, and it reminded me that I've been wanting to do a hazard episode for, well, about 20 episodes, episodes now. <laughs> yeah, so here we are. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read off what the core rule book says about hazards. A hazard includes any effect that can cause harm, but does not have a stat block. More on that later. Actually, I don't like that definition. Most hazards are self-contained dangers that affect anyone or anything that comes into contact with them. A scorching desert, a toxic atmosphere, or corrosive atmosphere, and a virulent disease are all examples of hazards. Hazards affect organic creatures, machines, or both. A hazard resolves its effects by making an attack roll against one of the target's defense scores. If the attack succeeds, the target suffers the effects of the hazard, including damage that may require special actions to treat. A hazard may affect all targets within an area or a single target, depending on its nature and range. Interesting. So it says a hazard doesn't have a stat block, but there are very much explicitly stat blocks for hazards. They totally have (laughs) stat blocks. Like, absolutely. It's not they don't have the same kinds of stat blocks that a creature has. They're really different. They don't have defense scores. They don't have inventories. They don't have ability scores or anything like that at all. But what uh, they do have. But they do have tax. And that's mostly it. They're kind of just <laughs> an attack with a CL. Um, and, and that's why they're so fucking cool, baby. Hazards also have something that we love, Sam. Keyword system. You recall uh, Pathfinder 2E has the trait system that Sam and I are just absolutely enamored by. Those show up here, too. These are simple descriptor tags that can give you a quick insight into a hazard's qualities, can also give you hints as to its potential strengths and weaknesses. Uh, like a hazard that's a fire would have the fire keyword, or a poisonous gas would have the atmosphere keyword. If it has the atmosphere keyword, you can bet your ass all your players with breath masks are completely safe from it. 
Wait, Stephen, didn't poisons have keywords too? I've got I've got some news for you, Sam. Poisons are hazards too. What the fuck? Yeah, right. Yeah, mind mind equals blown, mind fuck. Right? Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> mind equals blown. Mind equals fuck. When do you decide to use a hazard, Sam? I know I know your your GMing style. I know you're a bit of a hazard enjoyer. Uh, I use hazards whenever the fuck I can because hazards are like. They're like the sauce, you know, a little bit of the sauce for encounter building. We talked about so encounter building. It's really funny. <laughs> Hazards really are the good. sauce. Yeah, <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, you know, a snowstorm could be a little bit of hot sauce. <laughs> and that's the last episode oh. of the Dark Times podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the top. Uh, we can't go any higher. It's only downhill from here. I hope you put in a corny fucking laugh track. Something like that instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We like my hot sauce joke. No, I love your hot sauce joke. It's just, it's so corny. I love it. We're going to talk about this in the later half of the episode, but I have an encounter that I used hazards for that I thought was very interesting. Great. But for now, let's talk about what hazards are and how we can use them. I like pulling out hazards when an encounter is going a little better than I thought in the player's favor. Uh, It's always fun to bust out a... Like a surprise bag of tricks hazard, you know? Yeah, maybe a panicked sand hazard. sand, maybe a panicked crowd rushes by through the encounter. And there we go. Now you got to deal with civilian targets as well as the normal effects of the crowd hazard. I throw in a burst plasma conduit just about any time I want to. We talked about this in the Poisons episode, a stray blaster bolt hitting a, a pipe with gas inside. Yeah. Really easy to just throw that in. Perfect. The clumsy stormtrooper who can't hit for shit anyway ends up... Hitting something flammable. Now there's a fire. Come on. Quick encounter that ropes in the whole party. Don't want to sit down and use the encounter building checklist to build a balanced and interesting encounter. Throw those motherfuckers in the trash compactor. There you go. CL10. CL10. Wait, really? Oh, CL10? Yeah, it's a CL10 hazard. So they only survived because C3PO and R2D2. Yeah. Quick thinking from players to talk about, talk to NPCs, use their resources. They hey. did it. They survived the CL10 encounter. There you go. Did they level up? No. no. <laughs> I, would, I would say no. <laughs> Another good one that's also from the movies that I actually didn't really know about until I looked into it this morning. Uh, the production assembly line. One of my favorite scenes from Attack of the Clones where they're rushing through the droid factory. Do you remember this? Yeah. Hayden Christensen. Obi-Wan's going to kill me. One of the only scenes from Attack of the Clones. <laughs> One of just a few scenes from Attack of the Clones. Uh, no, that's a CL-12. That's one of those right scenes that's filmed entirely on a yes. CG stage. Yes, it was. You on could, blue screen. You could very easily tell even back in 2003. 2002? 2002. How can I use hazards in combat versus ha- using them in like a skill challenge? So with the, I'll, I'll do skill challenge first. Um, you can kind of make a skill challenge in your brain by just chaining a few hazards together if you really think about it. Maybe a chase through a polluted industrial city involves a malfunctioning blast door crossing through speeder traffic frantically and vaulting over an electrified fence while choking down a toxic atmosphere. I just named four or five. (laughs) (laughs) Give or take a hazard. About four hazards that, I mean, you can probably imagine that scene right now. Absolutely. Cloudy city streets, uh, traffic whizzing by. Can Not to pull from something we just did, but can we talk about the skill challenge you put us through in Zero Distance last night? Yeah, sure. I'd love to because, you know, not to... Not to toot my own clue horn, but uh, I, I, I thought that that encounter last night was was quite a fun skill challenge. So absolutely, you guys were participating in what your commanding officer called Operation Downward Strike. This was the final assault on a reactivated droid factory on the outer rim planet Hypori. The uh, Zan Consortium Pirate Military had 
infiltrated this droid factory, reactivated it, and had put the entire planet under a blockade of, of their own manufacture. It was a problem because you guys were trying to get to a weapons depot on the planet's surface. You guys were flying A-wings. You were guided in by an accompanying X-Wing and Y-Wing squadron launching from your Quasar Fire cruiser carrier, the Serendipity. The first phase, you had to deal with a swarm of vulture droids. And when I first thought about this encounter, I was like, it's not going to be fun to put them on a battle map with like 12 vulture droids. And what, you take them out one by one? Like, what a well, boring the, combat. The goal of this encounter wasn't to rout the enemy. You're not, kill, you're not destroying all the droids and then moving on. Precisely. This was a blockade run. You were trying to get past the enemy. Your buddies were going to fight the vulture droids and shit. That was on them. It was up to you guys to get the planet's surface. Um, we can talk about it more later because I, I did a few things for that encounter that I, I want to talk about later in the show. Um, but yeah, that encounter last night where you did a blockade run, you had to get past a swarm of enemies, avoid tractor beam emitters on a, the side of a Luker Hulk, navigate a dangerous stormy atmosphere and ultimately pilot your ship into a very narrow, only meters wide hole. That was a great example of a skill challenge, I think. Yeah, I agree. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> Ouch. Stephen, why would I, um, what, what's the point of a hazard? You know, like we talked about just throwing one to make it harder for your players, but like, Stephen, how do I use hazards? Just in general, how do I use them? I use them whenever I want to bring a more cinematic uh, element to the game. I think they're, they're perfect for that. I think that's what they were designed to do. And I think they do it quite well. Many of the most memorable scenes in Star Wars involve hazards. We already talked about the trash compactor and the droid factory scene from Attack of the Clones. And when I use them, I don't say, okay, guys, here's a hazard. I don't describe anything about the hazard beyond what you would see in like a movie. I try to describe the actions and the effects with a decent amount of detail. And luckily, my players are smart enough to catch on and respond to it. But I don't say, here's the hazard, roll your dice. I leave it kind of open ended, much like a skill challenge. I say there's a tube that's broken off the wall that's spraying flaming gas down this hall you need to navigate through. What do you do? I like that because then you can then taking in the player's input to that hazard, you can uh, react accordingly. Like, oh, if you're doing this thing that tries to take you through the gas, then the hazard's going to make an attack on you. Yeah. The greatest thing that hazards have to offer, and it's a subtle effect, is that they encourage player creativity. Everyone knows how to confront that stormtrooper in your stock standard combat encounter, but players' brains are really going to start working when they're faced with something a little more nebulous that they might not have a talent or feat that they can directly respond with. I invite players to improvise actions to overcome hazards, much like I would in the skill challenge. Activating a, a talent or feat in response to a skill challenge is always welcome. In that skill challenge last night, when you guys were evading the vulture droids around that Luker Hulk, you activated your draw fire talent. Yeah, I used I what I what I said was like, I want to bait the basic programming of the droids by flying out of formation to look like an easier target. You yeah, know? absolutely. And since you uh, speaking for me personally as game master, when a player activates a talent or feat in response to a hazard or skill challenge, that's pretty much always an automatic success. 
you will roll for it, certainly. But I tend to weight those choices a lot heavier because I think a creative but justified application of a talent or feat is double A plus awesome. Reward creativity by making the roll easier. You know, that's, always that's easy. It's the, the that's more, DMing 101, honestly. <laughs> Seriously, the more out of the box but reasonable idea that you have, the lower DC you're going to get from me. That's just how I roll. No pun intended. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Virtually every hazard has listed suggested skills uh, and with a DC and some action a player could take to usually either give a penalty to the hazard's attack roll or a bonus to their own defense against the attack. These don't have actions associated with them. Like it doesn't say make your player do a move action to adjust their ship sensors to more easily navigate the asteroid field. That's interesting because the skill, the sample skill challenges provided by the book and by the wiki are similar in that effect. They have su- uh, suggested skills that yeah. help you take on these skill challenges, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's um, I- I've just found that they're a little bit awkward to like prompt to your players. Like yeah. I could say like, oh, you can do this for a DC to get a bonus to your defense against the hazard. They're usually like, like what? They're just there, I think, to inspire a game master as to what to look for and what sort of rewards to give when your players start rolling skill checks to, to get out of this hazard. That's what I think. I like that because hazards can really blend the line between combat encounters and skill challenges in that way. They really do. And they really can. And I think in addition to that, they can also enhance combat encounters and skill challenges that you include them in. They're in a really unique position when it comes to encounter design. Well, how should players approach skill challenges, Stephen? It's a great question. We've been talking about game masters using hazards. Why not talk about how players respond? Hazards are always going to be the ultimate role play opportunity, I think. Really, really, I love getting into the scene when there's a hazard. Like the trash compactor, they're literally screaming. Absolutely. <laughs> 3PO, come in, 3PO! Seriously, I, I think a hazard, be it a, a black hole or a acid pool or a sandstorm, really think about your character being in this precarious, life-threatening, and honestly, shitty situation. <laughs> Um, yeah. Don't think too hard about being creative about your actions or having the most original idea. Obviously, the most obvious way out is generally going to be the best one. But uh, act out this life-threatening scenario, damn it. Like, like be stressed. Be strained. <laughs> be angry. Yeah, I mean, and also as a GM, you should be rewarding your players for taking on these hazards creatively. Like we said, it needs your DC for a more creative uh, solution. Totally. What what are some of your favorite hazards, Sam? Off the top of your head. Vacuum. Vacuum's great. You Vacuum's know, a, a good one. An airlock quickly closing and air being sucked through. We see that in, uh, there's a good episode of The Clone Wars, the episode where Ahsoka and the 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 younglings are coming back from building their lightsabers. Oh, yeah. And they get a, a, accosted by pirates. Pirates break in and Ahsoka eventually gets like, tries to get them sucked out into space and gets captured. Not just any pirates, right? It's Hondo and his yes, pirates. Of course, because yes. it has to be, right? Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> I love that because the Clone Wars writing team was really like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, you know what? Fuck it, Hondo. <laughs> <laughs> many, many times they said, fuck it, Hondo. And you as a GM can say the same thing. Honestly, if you've got um, Steven in our Wyvern Squadron campaign had a very prolific, um, prolific NPC in the, in, the, in the way of Marmar. Yes, Marmar was kind of started as a used ship salesman, just kind of a, a sketchy guy in the outskirts of the Corellian system selling used and half legitimately acquired vessels as well as repair services. But because I kept bringing him back just about any time I could, he grew into 
kind of the primary quest giver for a good stretch of the campaign and is still a beloved character by many can we, today. Can we coin the phrase the Hondo effect? Because I would Hondo love effect. for that to be what it is. Just like, yeah, bring a if you don't have something to use, bring an old NPC back under a different motivation or something like that. It's uh, great. I'm sure everyone out there has their own NPCs that are like that. And from what I've read of people's stories playing Swissy and, of course, any other system, that really seems to be a, a favorite thing that people do. Oh, like, of course, Jimmy the rat has what we need to <laughs> to do this next thing. I love that. That's great. Always. Uh, I pulled up the vacuum statistics that um, are allegedly, according to the core book, not a stat block, even though, I mean, come on, look at that. Like, it's got <laughs> it's a, a header. It's got it's a, a stat line. block. Like, this is this is a stat block. Um, keywords, atmosphere, contact, natural. Trigger, a creature begins its turn in a vacuum. The attack, plus 20 versus fortitude. What's the CL of this, by the way? This is a CL8 That's hazard. Oof, wow. So, you know. The vacuum of space is a real tough motherfucker. Damage is only 1d6, but it does move you down two steps on the condition track on a success, minus one step on a miss. Wow. You heard it right. Minus one step on the condition track if it's a miss. Do, do, I, get to, do I get to ignore that if I have evasion, Sam? No. That's correct. Evasion only applies to area attacks. Some hazards make area attacks. This one doesn't. I love that. That reminds me of, we did have another moment in Wyvern Squadron where... To avoid Darth Vader, one of our Jedi characters smashed a hole in a window and opened us all to the vacuum of space, which honestly, a CL8 versus a CL19 for Vader, I pick space. (laughs) Very calculated choice on the player's part. And a small side note here, Stevie P addendum at the bottom of the page, a little asterisk next to it. If you aren't treating Vader as a hazard rather than a creature you are doing vader wrong just my two cents <laughs> or if you uh, if you agree or disagree uh, reach out to us please do let us it. let me know how you run vader in your games if you're running vader at all do you like to run vader i like to run vader as a dm pc <laughs> oh man <laughs> just my 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 power fantasy personally i get to be vader <laughs> i'm here to be vader whatever you guys do is your business as long as you don't get in the way of me playing half vader. the session is an hour and a half of me rolling as vader on the other side of the galaxy <laughs> Irrelevant to the party. Vader's laundry day. <laughs> Vader's day off. His fucking he turns his clothes pink because he left some red. No! Darth Vader at the laundromat, like in his pajamas. Like I don't I don't understand it. This is clearly not my clothing. It's black and <laughs> I'm sorry, my lord, but uh, you have the ticket for the pink clothes. <laughs> I would love to see. The, sorry, if I've I've created this this uh, this yeah, new adult like yeah. animated sitcom here. Fucking, I would love to see the imperial like the the laundry room on an imperial star destroyer. That's my next character. That's they they did say they did bring that up with Poe, where Poe did sanitation work on like star destroyers and stuff. Yeah. But I would no, have loved to see Finn. Like, Finn was a sanitation oh, Finn, worker. Oh, yeah. Poe was a drug uh, dealer. A drug dealer. <laughs> well, they did. They did bring that up with Finn being like a sanitation worker yeah. on Starkiller Base, which I think is funny. Yeah. But I would love to see more of like just really hyper specific, like the laundry room on like the Star Destroyer or something. I think he ended up in sanitation because he didn't like fighting people. <laughs> I think that's what that was. And yet they still deployed him. To, yeah, they still and- deployed him to the front lines, <laughs> like alongside Kylo Ren. Like, well, it's that day of the week. You gotta. Yeah. Everyone's gotta put in their t- their. There are a lot of hours of frontline duty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's probably how militaries work, right? It's, 
I'd love to just deconstruct more of the First Order. But Are you sure? I know do you want to do no, that? No, I want to, because I know it's just going to fucking fall apart at the seams, like a cheap, shitty, like, uh, sweater I got from the Goodwill. Like, they kind of did that art for, our, for us, you know? Did you watch Rise of Skywalker? It's so... So Finn... All right, no, fuck, no. We're talking about the sequels again. Finn, Finn is trained from birth, does not have a name. Yeah. He's just got a number. Trained from birth yeah. to be a stormtrooper. Yeah. How long has the First Order been around? Oh, like, uh, well, depends who you ask. I think in in secret, like decades, at least. That's stupid. Yeah. I think, like, there was a bit of overlap between the First Order's existence and the Empire's existence. What? Yeah, I think that was the whole point, because, like, it was the it was the final backup plan that, like, the First Order was the backup plan, I, I think. I haven't read The Aftermath. final order is the backup plan. Yeah, the, the backup plan for the backup plan. <laughs> no, sorry. No, back to hazards. I'm yeah, so, pull the, me back. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> Reel some, me in, Stephen, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Fuck me. <laughs> the suggested skills for the vacuum hazard. Uh, there's only one here. It's endurance, DC of 10. The character holds his or her breath for one round, reducing the vacuum's attack roll by 10. Each round the character holds their breath in this manner, the check DC increases by two. There's also a special effect here, which I'll read. A vacuum succeeds automatically against an unconscious target, dealing cumulative D6 damage, 1D6 the first round, 2D6 the second, etc. If an unconscious target takes damage equal to or exceeding their damage threshold, they die. Additionally, a creature cannot move back up the condition track until it's returned to a breathable atmosphere. Would you call giving a creature a breath mask the equivalent of that or no? Because a vacuum, you're not, it's not also, it's not just suffocating. It's like the pressure being put on your body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So just slapping a breath mask on them. No. Oh, so Steven, do you hear it driving up? It's the GM Fiat. It's our favorite vehicle of Beep, choice. Get in guys. It's the GM Fiat. Which way do you want to go? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. God, I'll never get tired of that joke. Um, <laughs> the 2022 GM Fiat. I love it. So for a vacuum, no. To answer your question, if slapping on a breath mask of a victim, a vacuum would save their ass. I don't think so. Steven, I, I don't want to bring up the sequels again, but <laughs> Leia survives in a vacuum for way longer than okay. any one person should. Okay. <laughs> you weren't allowed to bring up that scene okay that's in our contract you can't it's in my writer yeah it's in <laughs> you can't bring up the last jedi i just uh, how i know you haven't read my contract because you brought up the the mary poppins scene in the last jedi <laughs> the people call it the mary poppins people call it the scene. mary poppins scene oh man not to be confused with the mary poppins scene in guardians of the galaxy 2 although that one's far more explicit <sighs> okay i'm gonna try to answer your question without you bringing up the sequels is that is that gonna happen that's fine yeah go okay, ahead great i'll stop talking about the sequels now, if a room lost its atmosphere for whatever reason, maybe a smaller leak in the hull, not a full-blown like depressurization vacuum situation, then yes, I think a breath mask would do a great job saving that someone if the atmosphere was lost, but pressure life support somehow remained on the vessel. Vacuum feels like, to me, the situation you described where a player busted a window to get away from Darth Vader. Or, in, in, or an in-universe explanation, Grievous busting a window open. Exactly. Those are vacuums. There's no atmosphere. There's more threats to your person than just the loss of atmosphere. There's also just the loss of pressure entirely. More than just the loss of breathable air, basically, is what I'm getting at here. So, throwing them in a space suit? Sure. I think that would work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or, hell, toss them in a cryogen chamber? 
There you go. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That could work too, I think. It would work on my table. I don't fucking know. (laughs) For sure. I agree. So if I cruise on over to Jungle Hazards, by the way, the Unknown Regions Sourcebook, I always plug it every time. Perfect for hazards. So many hazards organized by environment, aquatic, arctic, civilized, climactic, desert, jungle, space, subterranean. Wow, that's really cool. Really, really cool. There's also um, starship hazards and space travel hazards found elsewhere, but they're all organized beautifully on the Swissy Wikia uh, here on the hazards page. Also organized by CL. That's always nice. That's my favorite part about the wiki is that it organizes a lot of shit by CL. Yeah. So if I peruse on over to jungle hazards here, we will see one of my favorite hazards. Uh, look past leeches and flash moss to see insect swarm. Okay, insect swarm. Yeah, yeah. CL3. Bunch of bugs, baby. Keywords, atmosphere, natural, trigger, a being. Never see being usually. You usually see creature, which is... Yeah. A being begins its turn in the insect swarm. The attacks plus five versus your reflex. Damage, oh boy, 2d10. Half damage on miss. Would, wait, so this apply to droids too? A droid's a being, right? I yeah. thought a droid was a creature too, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think a droid... No, being is explicitly not creature. I think a being does apply to droids. Yeah, that's but interesting. Is, is creature a droid? Are droids creatures? Droids I are thought, creatures. I thought, okay, so why didn't it say creature? What if I know? What do I know? <laughs> the recurrence uh, <laughs> is that, God. The recurrence is each round at the start of the target's turn, as long as the target remains in the insect swarm. Do take note, my friends. It doesn't say how big that swarm is. The swarm can be as many squares as you feel is right. The whole map can be inside one big locust swarm if you wanted it to. The suggested skills are a DC 14 life sciences check. Reads, the character identifies the insect swarm. <laughs> Well, as opposed to just seeing an insect swarm being like, that one's safe to go into. How <laughs> could you describe an insect swarm without the players readily being able to identify it as an insect swarm themselves, even like in character? I feel like no matter who you are, you don't need to make a check to, to know you're in an insect swarm, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, because insects are usually visible to the eye. Yeah, it's like, oh, ah, these little creatures. <laughs> what could these be? They're forming some sort of cluster. Tiny insect-like creatures form a cloud. <laughs> a swarm, even. <laughs> oh, and then uh, I guess this is for a scenario, maybe, if, if they can see the insect swarm ahead. Yeah. Um, the, there's a survival check here, DC 19. The character realizes that entering a body of water or sealed environment is the best way to avoid the insect swarm. That's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's weird that droids aren't immune to this, right? Like, I mean, bugs they can they maybe don't, they don't got the flesh. They don't got flesh. Do you ah, but maybe the bugs are leaving some sort of deposition that's damaging the, the sensors, some oh, sort of digestive be, yeah. acid that or could be it. clouding the droids, other sensors in some way. Um, R2 was pretty upset about the, the plethora of bugs on Dagobah. I think they interfered with his life sensors. R2's a whiny bitch, though. Come on. <laughs> like, we can't deny the fact that R2-D2 Dude, is Dude, we're trying to interview so him whiny. for the podcast. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but have you seen his writer? It's it's insane. He wants a bowl of only blue and white M&Ms. <laughs> oh, like you can get from the, the candy stores. Amazing. Folks, we were going to build a hazard. This week, but uh, it looks like we have enough to fill the hour or so to maybe we can get back to that some other time. Maybe. Yeah, we'll talk about building hazards some other time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, we were talking about zero distance earlier. Yeah, you had a couple you things used, you want to talk about. You used ha- um, weapons as hazards. Yeah, so I realized that with the way I wanted the scene to work and with your guys' objectives, not to fight the enemy, but rather get past them, it was better to do a hazard. And I was like, okay, what sort of a hazard could there be from... Trying to navigate through a swarm of vulture droids, they couldn't really find a good fit. 
that that made a lot of sense to me. The starship hazards are cool. They they work a bit different. Maybe we can feature those later too. Um, I just haven't told you about them because we're in a starship campaign. Yeah, no, I really I'd, I'd love it to work. be a surprise. Yeah. Um, Starship hazards work a bit differently than normal hazards, and I actually like them a lot. They're far more open-ended, very kind of customizable, tweakable. We'll do an needs. episode on Starship hazards. We'll do an episode on Starship hazards. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. You got it! <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Watch those wrist rockets! <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's a delight. I don't think Vulture Droid's stat block by default has Discord missiles, but I like Discord missiles a lot. Um, for those who don't know, these are missiles that when fired, they work a little. Actually, I did want to complain about how they work for a little bit. I digress. I decided to make a hazard out of Discord missiles. And this might seem kind of, yeah, duh, Steve, by the end of this. But hear me out. If there is a weapon or an effect that you want to morph into a hazard, you can totally do it. And I'll tell you how I did it. I took the weapon and its effects. The the Discord missile is aimed at a square. And then after a couple rolls, a little buzz droid buddy pops out and starts whittling away at the unsuspecting pilot's hull. So I just took that effect. I just took the effect text basically for the discord missile. And I was like, okay, what CL am I at here? What attack do I need to do here? I looked at our good friend, create a hazard rules. And it told me that a good attack roll guideline for the hazard is 10 plus half the hazard CL. This particular phase was CL six. I was like, okay, plus 13. And I was so excited. I was so happy to try this out. And then the hazard rolled a nat one <laughs> during the session, and I was like, okay. It's interesting that you rolled sep- uh, one roll for everyone instead of separate rolls. Yeah, I ended up doing that later in the session uh, for a, d- a different hazard, Extreme Heat, actually, which um, is modified a bit differently when it's targeting vehicles, funny enough. Uh, you double the damage, uh, which I actually did not do because I thought the other effect was already harsh enough, which was knocking you down one persistent step on the condition track. Uh, with a, like a plus 10 against your fortitude defense. Yeah, it was so harsh that all of our characters were like, no, we're not even going to be in this room. Let's just move to a different hallway immediately. <laughs> kind of what I was going for. Um, later on in that same skill challenge, after the Vulture Droids, you guys were facing a Lucre Hulk battle cruiser, and you guys were going to be under threat from tractor beam emitters. Again, the stock Lucre Hulk doesn't have a tractor beam, but I was like, ah, fuck it, who cares? Brought up a Star Destroyer stat block. Just took the attack value and text for a tractor beam from that stat block, snipped it right off with my coupon clipping scissors, held it in my hand, and then targeted each of you individually with those numbers. And hey, I even got a couple off on you. Because of those tractor beams, you guys actually accumulated enough failures in that skill challenge that I just killed an NPC you hadn't even met yet. Yeah, it's... um. It's rough when you're in like a starfighter uh, squadron campaign and you're like, these are your comrades, your brothers in arms. I just killed three of them last week. <laughs> you know, it's precisely like, it's it's rough. We're like we want the mission to succeed because the failure is death of these characters that may not, you know, they don't hold meaning to us as players, but they no. hold meaning to our characters and to our other NPCs. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this was an unnamed NPC just like in the movies when rando pilot just crashes into something and explodes and dies. That's exactly what happened. But you guys didn't know him, but you're very close with his commanding officers. You know, that guy's going to be mourned not to spoil the campaign for you, Sam, but that was a real, they're going to mourn people. They're going to mourn people who die in war. If you, if you weren't expecting that. Oh man, if you haven't read alphabet squadron, there's a very, there are very good scenes about the different fighter squadrons mourning their fallen comrades. And it's so like, 
really emotional and heart-wrenching. I love it. And I know what you're thinking, that that probably sounds like suffer porn. It totally isn't. <laughs> like, no, it really isn't. It, it's not. It's not. You see how people who have to deal with death on a regular professional basis, how they cope with it. How pilots form these mythologies about the deeds of their fallen comrades. It's a beautiful, painful thing. If emotions aren't your thing and you're avoiding Alphabet Squadron for that reason, then, buddy, the book is for you. The Rogue Squadron books are cool because it's that awesome, high-action, high-octane, comic booky, Very and Top think, Gun. Yeah, and I do think they kind of get into the implications of, like, war and death. And there are genuinely touching and sad scenes in those books. But Alphabet Squadron is, I think, a much more modern, realistic, and balanced view of, of the true cost of war. And I love it for that reason. It inspired a whole campaign for me. Steven, let's talk about you had a hazard I have a problem with. I really do. <laughs> so I love feedback from my players, and I, I, I'm glad you're bringing, bringing this up on the let's show. Set up the, let's set up the scene, though. Okay, right? let's it's, set the scene. You're doing a very interesting thing, which I very much enjoy. You're Thank doing you. like a dungeon crawl at Starship scale. Yes, yes. The players have infiltrated the droid factory with their A-wings. They're flying around inside this massive underground droid factory, and I've set it up like a dungeon slash battle station at Starship scale. And before you, you start typing away, like, that doesn't happen in Star Wars, uh, Return of the Jedi. Come on. Sorry. Come on. Uh, Lando and Nian Nub fly into the Fucking fully <laughs> not fully built Death Star, and it's very similar to what we're going through right now. Yeah, I told myself, like, that can happen in Star Wars. And I remembered Return of the Jedi, baby. It totally happens in Star Wars. So what, what was it you wanted to tell me? We have, there was a hazard, a room with fan, a big giant fan. Big exhaust fan. A big like, exhaust fan blowing up into the ships and stuff. And it dealt just damage. There was no roll, at least not that I knew of at the time, but now asking you afterwards, there was no roll. It would just deal 2d10 damage if you started, if you ended your turn in that, uh, in that space. Yep. And I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it. Well, why? Why would that be a thing? Why is that a thing? In, so, fact, in fact, if in the system there is a system for making hazards and it usually gives you a raw stat, a roll yeah. for making your own hazards, why are there hazards that just deal damage? So it's a great question, Sam. And I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing it up on the show because it's worth discussing. How is it fair that I can just deal guaranteed damage to my players? Skill checks and other roles are there to provide limitations for threats as well as limit players' abilities, and these limitations are what make the game interesting because you can play around them. The limitation for that source of damage was the room. You were only going to take damage so long as you remained in that room. And the other twist, and something that you failed to mention, this room was also difficult terrain because of the big billowing <laughs> yeah. fan. So, yes. Uh, it double sucked, is what I'm it, saying. It double sucked. It was very challenging. Was it too challenging? Maybe. I don't think anyone had their was, shields yeah. remaining by the time we got through it. There was also a turret in that room as well. Let's not let's not deny there was also enemy enemy fighters waiting at the end of the room. I, there's a lot of factors here that made that room suck, Steven. That's fair. And I'm going to get I'm gonna let you peek behind the curtain here. I'm peeling it back. Here it goes. I'm peeling it back. Do you like what you see? <laughs> you guys on your own volition through pure chance found the most direct way to your objective to destroy the power source of that droid to factory. You also uncovered the most challenging path. There was three or four other pathways you could have taken to reach your objective. You found the most difficult one. <laughs> First try. First try. Um, that's interesting because I was thinking about this during the session, and maybe this is not the place to talk about it this episode at least. Either way. But I would love, is there a something in Star Wars like shooting a echolocation, like a navigation missile or some sort of like down a hallway 
to see like what's at the other end of the hallway. Yeah, I'm sure some sort of like sensor ping like that could be could be done. I, I wouldn't even say a weapon is required to achieve that. Your lovely schizophrenic Rodian friend Kitch um, did not attempt any sensor pings at all, like he so often does. That may have revealed additional paths through the droid factory. It's just one of those things where at the I'm sure in the moment we didn't think of it because yeah. it wasn't in our our repertoire of things we normally do is 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 search for not for enemies per se, but search for roots. Oh, I, I mean, Kitch searches for shit like chronically, yeah. like every time I was surprised. He <laughs> like it owes him money. <laughs> yeah. This was the first encounter where he really wasn't spamming those use, use computer checks to search for uh, stuff that is, that is on us as players to remember what we can do. Absolutely. And, you know, people out there are probably hearing how, how tough this sounds. I was very cautious to keep this by the book, like a very appropriate CL. I read all of the battle station rules. I even ran a couple tests with some dice rolling on my own to make sure it was right. I promise you, Sam, and I promise the court of of the mob, the mob, yeah. the, the masses listening in yeah. right now that uh, that it's all by the book, baby. Wait, we have to I do have to mention my character did take a nat 20 hit. You took a nat 20. And I, I did a nat 1 a, a void collision check. Yes, that's true. Something we should mention. While Sam was trying to get out of the fan room with the difficult train and guaranteed damage, they totally botched a roll to avoid collision and smacked right into an enemy starfighter. Yes. So I... <laughs> it's there been was, bad luck. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of dice rolls. I think... I don't know what it is with us specifically, but we do get a lot more nat 20s and nat 1s than I would like to see in sort of gameplay. There's like a cabal of people online who claim that Roll20 is like that. I haven't seen any like empirical data, like evidence for that. But there's people who claim that Roll20 is way bigger on the 20s and 1s than uh, than anything else. I wouldn't. I mean, that'd be an insane conspiracy. Yeah, I think they're just memorable and they stick out to us. Well, absolutely. That's what it is. It's, yeah. it's the... Oh, you whined about the enemy turret in the fan room. Bias. That shit was out in one round. Yes, but the fact it was there, <laughs> Stephen, the room was hard enough without it. Is what, what I'm you, saying. What do you tell the lovely people listening from home how much damage the fan did? Two d ten. Two d ten, Sam. <laughs> once per round, guaranteed damage. I mean, first of all, I didn't know that at the time, though. So it seemed like a lot more. <laughs> like it could have been You're more. Like fifteen damage a turn. That's a lot on two d ten. Wait. Yeah, that's possible on 2D10. Yeah, it's also a lot of damage on 2D10. It's above average. (laughs) So good. Oh, yeah, and then, so, enemy turret in the room. Big exhaust fan with difficult training, guaranteed damage. Three enemy star vipers, which are like CL11 apiece, waiting for the end of the room. And then the next room had the extreme heat uh, uh, hazard, which was a plus 10, I want to say, against fortitude defense. Knocks you down one step persistent on the condition track. We really just picked the worst fucking way to go. You it's, did. You didn't look for any other way. No, it's not. I, I, I think the encounter is perfect. No, I think it's. I think out. I'm. Ne- I never make mistakes. Is really what I'm getting at here. <laughs> no, I, I think it's all working out great. Um, maybe, maybe nudge your uh, systems operator, uh, co-pilot next time. Well, to, uh, yeah, I'm sorry for airing my my dirty laundry on the show. Oh. No, I think this is a useful thing to talk about the show. I, I think this is the kind of thing that a lot of people would want to engage with and and talk about. I'm sure there's some great input out there. On yeah, so what if they you've have. learned anything from this, it's if your DM's out to get you, you're right. <laughs> yes, yes, write that down. Take that home. That's all you should pick up from yep, this conversation. That's the thesis of the Dark Times podcast right there. If your DM's out to get you, yes. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we thank you for listening, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying our 
our uh, our regaling of our tales of triumph and victory and also the times where we fuck up really bad. Oh, yeah. You know, we love telling you guys about how we play the game, what we think about the game. And because it's a community podcast, we also are hungry to hear about what you are doing yes, at home with please. your games. And write in the email darktimesswse at gmail.com. Write in. Do you get any cool stories? Anything awesome? Any cool stat blocks you made? Yeah. Next time you have a fun RPG story and you're sitting there at your computer typing it up. Shoot, you're gonna bring that to the subreddit? No, baby, bring it to us. We'll <laughs> read can, it out you loud. You can send for it to you. both. <laughs> you can cut. do send it to both. Please don't don't. That subreddit's great. But I'd just love to hear anything that you've brought from what we've taught you, and then used, and how that has gone at your table. That's Seriously. what I, that's really what it is. Of course. Um, we also have you know as usual, you can review us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Review us on there. We'll shout you out there. We had, a, we had a question, Sam. Yeah. You have a producer question. For I have a audience. producer question for yeah. the masses. I'd like yeah. to I'd like to, to pull the room, you know? Yeah. Pull the room. Um, would people want me to upload, like, a parallel upload to YouTube of the show as well? I know not everyone uses Spotify or any other podcast-specific apps, but a lot of people do use YouTube in their day-to-day. Yeah, of course. And this wouldn't be, like, a video podcast. No, it would where it's, uh, just yeah. be the it's, album art. It might be the, the, yeah, it might be the our logo, maybe animated so it looks like it's hovering, maybe, <laughs> like, whoa, like, hold on. It would just be, like, a parallel upload to YouTube with a comment section there and yep. links to everything there, as always. They have a description and all that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, I would just... just Put it out there. If you're interested, let me know. Yeah, it's no effort for us to do it, really. It's just a click and a few other things. Absolutely. Maybe a little extra money per month. Probably not. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. That's, well, that's what I want to say. Um, also, speaking of money per month, uh, <laughs> we do have the Patreon in the description. Uh, Steve and I are working hard on our module. We we were almost done with like the pre-gen handouts. Yeah, we made some really, Sam really made some snazzy pre-gen handout templates, and we're filling them out for all the characters. We've got a lovely uh, five-character cast yeah. of a party One of each, that you can pick each up. each basic class, you know? Yeah, they're, they're interesting. They, they, I think they... Um, I think they fill maybe slightly different archetypes than people might be expecting for the usual soldier, scoundrel, scout, etc. Yeah, like I mean, as cool as it is to build a a scout, a soldier that does big damage, it's also cool to see what those characters can be alternatively to the basic architect. Of architects, course, you know, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, so we've got those. They're like two to three page, not including the st- the the character sheets themselves. They're like yeah. two to three page descriptions of some cute art on there. What too. each thing does and what is important to the characters and stuff like that. It's great for people who are new to systems or new to role playing in general. I've got a hex crawl guide on there too. This is a pre existing work. It's already out there for free. You can go find it very easily on the subreddit. But what I've done for the Patreon is I've kind of remixed it a little bit, made it look like one of the original Saga Edition core rule books. It's got the same margins, fonts, some cool art in there. I, I think it looks really sharp. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in bringing like outer space or wilderness exploration to your Saga Edition campaign, well, by golly, that's you should pick that up. Yeah, and we've also got, uh, we're still working on that module also. We yep. made some stat blocks for it. I've made some maps. I'm going to make some more maps for it. And as soon as that's in a nice little bundled up package, we're going to put it on the Patreon for you guys. Right up there. It'll be available for all of our patrons. Uh, the Patreon, of course, is largely a tip jar. It covers like 90% of our podcast hosting costs. And, you know, we appreciate each and every one of our patrons. And we always shout you out when you're a new patron. So. Yeah, and also uh, as a patron, you get to vote in any upcoming bounties that we do or anything oh, yeah. like that. All right, let's get you back in the show. Fantastic. All right, Sam, what are we looking at for a build this week? Steven, I've brought something. It's not super, not, you know, not super crazy overpowered. It's more of a cool character concept. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say, you know, I wanted to ask when I when I saw this for the first time, where, when did you make this and why? Uh, I made this for our 
Remember the, the there's a pirate themed campaign that I run. Uh, yes, not super often. I'd like to run it more, but our our group has a strict one. That's the one with the pop star Noble. Yes, our and group. Uh, her wealth talent is her royalties from her latest singles. <laughs> we love so it. good. Um, it's sort of I call it eclipsing the black sun is the name of the the adventure. Oh yeah. Uh, our group has a very strict one one session of of Swissy one campaign at a time. Yes. One so, Swissy campaign at a time. I, it's a good rule. I think I think so too. You don't want to really get sucked into it. That's for sure. Let's just try out other games. Of also. course. Uh, and also Steve and I have a podcast. We don't need to talk about Swissy three times a week. <laughs> Please, no, dear God. Um, this is a CL four, uh, Tuscan Raider Jedi four, mm. which I think is interesting. His name's Kirk. She lightsaber wielding. Shaman. Yeah, I saw you wrote Jedi wielding. And yeah. He doesn't like, wield a Jedi as a weapon. The, yeah. It's a lightsaber wielding shaman. Uh, as a Tuscan Raider, he can reroll stealth and survival checks, which is great. They have to keep the reroll, though. He also has Desperate Gambit and the instinctive attack feats. Desperate Gambit allows a reroll to an attack once per turn in exchange for a minus two to reflex defense, uh, same as you would get if you were charged, except instead of doing a plus two, you get a reroll, which oh, is very nice. Very nice. And then instinctive attack has when you use a force point when making an attack with a weapon with which you are proficient, you can reroll the attack and take the better result. Apply the results of the die from the force point to the better result, which I think is super cool. It's also got Rapid Strike, which allows a minus two and a two an attack roll, but a plus one die damage to the attack. Great for lightsabers that only deal like, I think I gave him an archaic light foil, which deals like 2d6, you know? Yeah, you went with the archaic light foil, which, um... I've got reasons for it. I'll, I'll oh, talk okay, about that. Oh, okay, good. I, I was interested in hearing why. Uh, he also has the Exposing Strike talent from the Jedi Guardian talent tree. It allows you to use a force point to make a target flat-footed after you deal damage to them with a lightsaber. Uh, it's a concept I had floating around my head for a while, something about... I had an idea of like an old Republic ship crashing on Tatooine and then immediately Ooh. being overtaken by the sands. Yeah. Um, Tuscan Raiders eventually discover the ship and treat it as like a holy site. Mm. They find an archaic light foil, which gets passed down through like a family line. Uh, Kirk Shee has had this light foil passed down to him for generations and uses the shifting sands to his advantage. It was a, uh, I made, I used the job generator from the scum and villainy book, I believe. Oh, that, very that, nice. That's where it's from, right? Yeah. 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 I used it to make a salvage job on Tatooine. I ran this for Steven and our friends in our in our little um, Black Sun Pirate campaign. Uh, even though the stat block's only CL4, the players are level 3. This paired with two more Tusken Raiders, and uh, I used, like, desert sand for uh, for concealment. Yeah, we talked really about this cool. encounter on the show before, briefly. It was so cool. Uh, Sam was manipulating the battlefield, changing the rules, basically, by using a sandstorm hazard and effectively just kind of shifting the sands around so we could only see some enemies and some obstacles at certain points. We never got a full view of the map at really any one time until it was over. So cool. Yeah, it was cool. So the way it was is I had a ship semi-embedded into the sand mm -hmm. with one of their turrets sticking out. And the Tuscan Raiders had converted it into like a holy site. There was like some sort of uh, tablet table in there. The characters went inside and as they went inside, they were ambushed by the Tuscan Raiders from the outside. So as they tried to leave, there's only one egress to the ship, which is yep. another cool part of we it. We had to take cover in this half-buried ship. I think my uh, scoundrel mechanic was able to get the single uh, blaster turret operating and blast some Tuscan Raiders that way. And what's great about that is, is it a starship weapon at character scale, which are, if you've never used them at character scale, they're incredibly powerful. They Very deal, blasty. It was probably like 40, 10 times 2 or something crazy <laughs> like that. It's a lot of damage, and it's a lot of power for players to have, but it's great. Great. It was um, fun. <laughs> and it, it's it's just cool to do that sort of world building, like giving 
a Tusken Raider, an archaic light foil. It's one yeah, of the ones I that mean, has like a power pack. I'm a big Ashrod Het fan. I know there's a lot of Ashrod Het fans listening, so this is a really cool homage to that. A nice little twist, too. Absolutely. I, I just thought that was interesting. It was a cool thing to, it was a very interesting encounter to write and to play, and it was fun. And it's memorable. It was. We still talk about it today. Exactly. Great build, Sam. Thanks for sharing that. Well, thank you. That'll Sam. be in the description, right? Yeah, I'll have it in the Fantastic. description. Fantastic. It's only CL4, but it's cool. Hey, throw my cool colors. Who cares? Um, Steven, it's time. Oh, God. Damn. It's time, Steven. Name oh, that NPC or I literally kill I you. I die, man. <laughs> well, death comes for us all, as I've said before, and I'll say again. <laughs> we have a stat block, another stat block from Little Literalist this week. Okay. This is from the Star Wars Saga Edition Rebellion Era Campaign Guide. Okay, we're leaving right. your yeah. comfort grounds of the Force Unleashed Campaign Guide. I don't know this one quite as well, but I have read my copy cover to cover twice. So, well, there you go. I think we might be okay. This is a non-heroic one, noble one, scoundrel five, scout three, bounty hunter three. Oh no! This oh. <laughs> is it Dangar. Uh, you I, let me. You want to keep? You want to give me? You want to okay. do that All first? Right, fine. Third degree droid. Oh. <laughs> a language is basic, binary, bocce, gand, hutties, quarinies, right. roadies. I have a question. What's the question? Was this character featured in a Star Wars film or appear in a Star Wars film? Yes. A G88. No. <gasps> bah, bah. Oh, no. Roadies, Rill, Shrewook, and they have a translator unit DC-10. Steven, can I, you, you said, you asked if it was IG-88. I did say it was third degree droid. Oh. IG-88 is oh, explicitly a fuck. fourth degree droid. I know who this is. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I remember it. Oh, Forlom. Is that your final answer? Yes. That is correct! Yes! <laughs> you, live, yeah. you live to GM another day, Steven. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Uh, yeah, Lilith Swiss wanted me to mention the, the species after the levels, because that was kind of a giveaway, I yeah. feel like. A third degree droid. The Thank language you. just gave it away for me. The language gave it away? I mean, it's great. Uh, it is cool to see... The Forlom series was like a series released parallel to the 3PO series as like oh. a competitor. Did you know this? Really? They, yeah. they wanted to compete with the 3PO series as the same thing, but with a bug head? Well, it was to appeal to species that didn't have humanoid heads. Of course. My anthrocentric thinking. Yeah, you fucking bigot. <laughs> you anti-insectoid piece of trash. <laughs> That's staying in. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so Forlom, uh, one of my favorite characters to play in Lego Star Wars because he could use both droid ports. And bounty hunter ports. And bounty hunter ports. That's right. Great. I remember that. Steven, I got some trivia this week for us. Sure, let's hear it. Uh, Greg Gunberg, Greg Grunberg, rather, uh, he plays Temin Wexley in the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. You may know him as the man who built Mr. Bones, the coolest battle droid to ever exist. I love Mr. Uh, Bones. He's he's J.J. Abrams' best friend. And as children, they promised each other if they ever made a Star Wars movie that they, that they would both be involved with it. That's isn't that sweet. That's really cute. Um I've got I've got thoughts about Tim and Wexley. Yeah. So he's allegedly Poe Dameron's best friend. Yeah. Like I maybe not childhood best friend, but like best best military friend. Yeah, like they, they have they they're together in the comics before they, uh Force Awakens. They happens. don't interact in the films one bit. Nope. At all, even. Yeah. The closest we get is when that dumbass gets blown up in Rise of Skywalker. He does die in Rise of Skywalker, yeah. Poe presses his little ass up against the glass of his cockpit and goes, no! <laughs> That's the closest thing we get to seeing their alleged friendship. The coolest thing about Temin Wexley, the fact that he makes Mr. Bones, of course, totally absent from the sequels as well. Oh, yeah. It only appears in some of the comics. 
Now, I know I'm beating a dead horse by complaining about the coolest thing about a character being present outside of their films, but Poe's best friend and we didn't even... Oh, well, there's another character who uh, sadly suffers that same fate, Darth Maul. Oh, yeah, Darth Maul. <laughs> Let's not forget thing. Boba Fett. Boba Fett, yeah. <laughs> the coolest thing about the characters not existing in any, like, movie at all. You mean... You mean Darth Maul's single spoken line in The Phantom Menace wasn't why he was so famous? Uh, well, that's our trivia this week, Stephen. Uh, and that's our show. That's our show, yeah. Fantastic. The Dark Times podcast is produced and edited by me, Sam. Stephen's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter, DarkTimesSWSE, or you can email us, DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Stephen, do you have a quote for us this week? At last we'll reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. <laughs> that's his that's his line in the Phantom that's Menace. Small's line in the Phantom Menace. What what revenge is he talking about? Does he mean the Sith revenge? He means the revenge of the Sith, baby. Oh, fuck. Come on! George did it, baby! <laughs> <laughs> that's foreshadowing. Take that home to you. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>